Journey, a poem, a staple of the San Francisco Bay since 1973. Nothing has gotten in our way. Okay, for eight years we were on a break, but writing all those hits wasn't exactly a piece of cake. While apart, some of us spoke bad English and some of us lived in bliss. But in the end, we returned as one big happy family and are all living our ultimate journey. Today we are talking about the mighty journey on Growing Up Rock, so crank it up! talk another family tree and we're going to discuss the mighty journey good lord this episode could be five and a half hours long how you doing steven what's up there hollywood we're doing something we've never done on the grown up rock podcast before haven't we done a family tree we've done a family tree but we've never done a two-part episode on a single band that has you know, extended for two weeks. And this is the first band that we're doing something like that with, which is uh, interesting since, you know, it's one of those bands that could go either way from rock and roll to adult contemporary to hard rock, you know? Yeah. Journey's a tough one, right? Because I had a, (laughs) after that poll we put out about whether Heaven Sent was a power ballad or not, man, I'm listening through this stuff. I'm like, all right, is that a power ballad or is that a mid-tempo song? Is that a ballad or not a ballad? And these guys supposedly invented the power ballad, so I should know better. Yeah, and and I found myself uh, looking at the same thing because there are several Journey songs that after the poll came out on Heaven Sent, and the end result was that 52% of the people voted yes, it was a power ballad, right? Uh, that's on Facebook. It was 58 on Twitter. Okay, so people overall think that it is a power ballad but it was really close i still say that i never thought that but it was never a competition it was just a curious question and there are several journey songs that for sure now really fall in line with is this a power ballad is it not uh and i'll give you a prime example uh Girl Can't Help It perfect example of that is that a power ballad or is it just a flat out pop song I don't know. Pop song. Yeah. So, you know, it's an interesting question, but uh, we digress. We're here to talk about Journey overall, right? That's right. So uh, before we get to Journey, because we got a lot to talk about, let's do this. Journey 
It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. All right, so it's time for tonight's Crank It Up Spotlight. Tonight's Crank It Up Spotlight is going to go along with the Family Tree-themed episode geared towards Journey. So with Family Tree episodes, and we've done one in the past, I think with Vinnie Vincent, right? I thought we did Dead Daisies. We did do a Dead Daisies, and we did a Vinnie Vincent, yeah, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, So we're doing both, I think. Okay, so this is the third one then, and this one is towards Journey. So we're going to explore members of Journey in their past bands, so part of the family tree. And so this Crank It Up Spotlight is going to be geared towards that theme, and we're going to explore the new one, from Revolution Saints. Revolution Saints, of course, is a band containing Jack Blades from Night Ranger, Dean Castronova, and Doug Aldridge, who is in the Dead Daisies. So Dean and Doug are both in the Dead Daisies. They also both have this side project, Revolution Saints. They got a new album coming out January 24th of 2020. New album's called Rise. This is the new song off the record called when the heart ache goes. Check it out.
Yeah, that's a good song. I'm I'm really looking forward to this album, and I'm glad it's early in the year, baby. You get to listen to it all year. Yeah, I mean, I've liked the first two albums by this band, but I saw a lot of people kind of posting this song, and, and they didn't like it, which sort of surprised me because I thought it goes along very nicely with all the rest of their stuff. So I didn't quite understand the feedback that I was reading on this song. I think it's a great song. Yeah. And I love Dean's voice. I mean, it's very journey. So it's like, if you want something that sounds a little bit like journey and a heavier survivor, it is what it is. Like, I think it's great. Yeah, me too. So again, that's off of a upcoming revolution saints record called rise uh, they'll be competing with Tom Kiefer's Rise, so I, I don't and, and uh, Dirk Bentley Rise. So everybody's got an album called Rise. I don't know what that's all about, but by golly, go out there and check it out. It'll be out on January twenty fourth of twenty twenty. Uh, so let's get back into this Family Tree episode. So yeah, we could bore you with a bunch of stats about Journey. I mean, they got. 14 studio albums, four live albums. They're from the Bay Area. They've been around since the early 70s. They came out of Santana. Like, there's all kinds of stuff. You can read all that on Google, Schmoogle, and Wiki, Smicky, and whatever else. What we wanted to kind of talk about a little bit is how we got into Journey and then pick some of the members to talk about. Because, again, this episode could be five hours if we're going to talk about every member. So let's uh, start with, Stephen, how'd you get into Journey? Uh, it was high school. Uh, I want to say my freshman or sophomore year. And the big news of that year was the big Journey Escape Tour. Uh, it was Journey and Brian Adams. Uh, they were playing a nearby city. It was on a school night. I was not going to concerts yet, and I didn't go to this concert. But by golly, I had to look at all the Journey concert t-shirts the next morning uh, walking through my school. So that was what kind of piqued my interest. I'd heard of Journey before then, and I'd heard bits and pieces off of Escape. So that was kind of my entry point into Journey. And from there, you know, I just explored a lot of back stuff. And, uh, you know, there were a band that always kind of interested me because at the time, my tastes were sort of slowly transitioning from pop into more hard rock, guitar-based rock and roll. You know, the Foreigners and bands like that, those were always kind of my gateway into uh, what became hard rock and metal for me in high school. So since then, I've seen them a few different times. I never saw them with Steve Perry uh, that I can remember. I think I've seen them with Arnell, and I think I've seen them with somebody in between. Uh, and I don't know whether that was uh, Steve or Jerry or Soto or, or who, you know, I don't remember because uh, it was a while ago. Yeah, for me, you know, I kind of got into music really 84-ish, MTV kid. You top that off with, I love Top 40. So Journey was all over the Top 40 charts. And then I'm a Bay Area kid. So you would think the amount that Journey was on the radio, that every Journey song was a number one hit in the country. Like you wouldn't know any better. Uh, between Journey and Night Ranger, you would have thought they owned the entire world if you lived in the Bay Area at the time. My journey really starts with Infinity. Uh, I really like the really melodic stuff. Those first three albums are a little too jam bandy for me. And uh, so my, you know, my journey history kind of starts with Steve Perry. They were already 
an arena act by the time I'm getting into it. But I've seen Journey five times. I saw him live in December of 86 with Perry. Glass Tiger opened that show, by the way. Wow. I saw him in December of 98 with Audrey. Saw him in November of 2002 with Audrey. And then I saw him on back-to-back nights in August 2006 with Jeff Scott Soto, baby. Of course you did. <laughs> that was the first meet and greet I ever did. Was one of those nights at the Conquer Pavilion. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. I think Journey is one of those bands that it's sort of easy to forget how really large this band was. I know people here like Don't Stop Believing. They know the songs uh, any way you want it, things like that. They really know the songs, but this band was a stadium band at one point in time. I remember in high school, this band was playing a lot of like these Super Bowl festival type things that were new at the time and headlining them. I mean, they were playing, they were doing stadiums on that Frontiers tour. They were playing some stadiums. So they were a massive band. And I spent the weekend, the better part of this past weekend, just kind of looking for stuff on YouTube. And I found this really cool documentary called Journey Frontiers and Beyond, which basically documents the Frontiers tour. And you forget this band was kind of, you talk about Kiss being a pioneering live act, and they were absolutely that, but so was Journey. Journey pioneered a lot of like the big video screens and things like that. They were the first band to do stuff like that. When you start looking at this documentary, it's just got some really cool facts. It's a little cheesy because it's like Dan Rather or somebody narrating it, and it's kind of funny because it was shot a lot of the footage is shot in you know 1982 83 right in and around there it's definitely an interesting watch it's uh about an hour and a half long or so some good stuff on there yeah and you know you can't go back and rewrite history but they were gone from 87 to 95 and now that we know what we know they missed a huge boom between 87 and 90 for sure And this band would have transcended because they were on the top 40 charts, right? So they would have done better than Bon Jovi and any of those guys. And think about this, like throw in, let's say nobody does solo albums. So that means the stuff that's on Steve Perry's solo album comes in. That means bad English stuff comes into this band. That means View comes into this band. The Storm comes into this band. Like they could have had 50, 60 hits, right? They never had a number one hit. Being gone from 87 to 95 is just a death sentence. If they're gone from 95 to 2002, probably nobody cares. But you left when you could have sold another 50 million albums probably. Uh, Yeah, probably very easily. Uh, That would not surprise me one bit. It's amazing the success that they had and the uh, chart-smashing success they had. Uh, Don't Stop Believing, you know, that song was really never that big when escape came out it wasn't until glee came out and reinvented that song and now you hear that song everywhere that song skyrocketed with glee and i don't know if people really pinpoint that but think about it well i think what's happening and i'm not sure we've even talked about this before we might have personally but the folks that are our age in that 40-50 mix 
that are ahead of marketing firms and you know places that make commercials and movies and uh, you know we have ex band members scoring movies and those kind of things. They're keeping some of this music alive because that's what they grew up with. So they're pulling it into the culture that is today. Now I don't know if that'll still happen twenty years from now, and maybe twenty years from now it's all event sevenfold. I don't know, but uh, for now it's kind of nice to hear this music live in some of that stuff. Yeah, that's a hugely valid point. I mean, you're absolutely 100% right. The guys that are making decisions now are our ages and grew up with this stuff. So it was important to them in their high school years. And now they're able to make decisions and utilize some of it. So that's a great point. Yeah. And, you know, this is also one of the bands that had several singers. And you know what? They survived. There's bands that had different singers that didn't survive, but these guys survived just as good as Van Halen did. Yeah, and like a lot of other bands, like the bands that transcended time, the Bon Jovis and, and Van Halens and such, they, they essentially, I don't know if they reinvented themselves is the right word, but they re-energized themselves and came back even after that long hiatus and came back with uh, arguably missing one of the most important factors of that band. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I didn't realize until you watch some of the documentaries or the Behind the Music journey or read some stuff on Steve Perry, you don't realize how much power he actually had. This was not a Democratic-type band pretty much at any point in time. Uh, maybe the first three albums, that's why they suck so much. But uh, <laughs> after that, it wasn't Democratic anymore. No, I mean, it was essentially, it was, you know, Neil Sean's band, uh, and Herbie Herbert's band, and they bought Steve into the fold, and Steve essentially took control of that. Uh, and, you know, you can listen to the interviews and watch the documentaries and even listen to Steve, and it's, it's pretty clear that, you know, that he made all the decisions, and he made the decision to leave, and, uh, you know, it's just, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't fault the rest of the guys in the band, put it that way. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to start talking about the members, but before we start, I just want to kind of say tons of members we could discuss, and although they probably all have interesting stories, we decided not to discuss in detail the careers of George Tickner, Prairie Prince, Robert Fleischman, Steve Smith, Randy Jackson, and his American Idol stuff. Uh, Ainsley Dunbar, yeah, loved him in White Snake or Arnell, and Arnell has stuff out there. There's a documentary out there, Don't Stop Believing, on YouTube that's very much like the Rockstar movie because his story kind of reads that way. So we could have talked about all those guys, but we kind of uh, decided on a solid eight that we were going to talk about. So why don't you start? Yeah, so let's start with Jonathan Kane. In terms of journey starting with Escape when Jonathan came into the band, Jonathan Cain, Neil Sean, and Steve Perry wrote or co-wrote everything on Escape and Frontiers. <laughs> and so that kind of says it all. Uh, this guy, there's no way this guy is hurting for royalties monies along with Steve Perry or Neil Sean. No way. I mean, some of the biggest songs he wrote faithfully on his own. That song is completely his. So this guy is an amazing musician. He's an amazing writer. He's written some 
of the best rock tunes of all time. And before getting into Journey, he was with a band called The Babies. Now, he was an original guy in The Babies. I interviewed Wally Stocker and Tony Brock way back. Uh, I love The Babies. Babies, great band with John Waite. Jonathan came into The Babies. He was on two albums from The Babies. He was on Union Jack and On the Edge. And so he basically was picked out of a lineup of a bunch of other musicians. If you listen to my interview with, with the two guys and the babies, that's basically what they said. So I'm assuming that Jonathan Kane was nobody before he was in the babies. He joins the babies. They have two great records and then he moves on to journey. I'm going to play this tune off of the babies on the edge. This is a song that Jonathan Kane is actually singing so John Waite's not singing this song. Jonathan Cain's singing this song. This is called Too Far Gone. Check it out. I'm a big John Waite fan, 
but honestly, Kane has the better voice because, you know, John Waite kind of like talks things, right? So you get used to it after a while, and I've enjoyed some of the stuff that he's sang over the years, but uh, Kane's voice is pretty good. Yeah, I don't think it's a whole lot different than John Waite's on this particular style of song, but Jonathan Kane, I mean, like all good musicians, of course, he started out with an accordion. You can't go wrong starting out with an accordion. Just ask where Al Yankovic. You can go wrong, dude. That's come on, accordion, dude. Weird Al spent most of his time upside down in the garbage can of the high school quad. That's where Weird Al spent his time, <laughs> along with you, probably. By the way, I never played accordion, so I was the one putting people in trash cans, most likely. Oh, 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 no! And you got to put him in head first. Oh, actually, you can't do that anymore because now you probably get kicked out of high school. The very thing that we used to do all the time would get you kicked out of high school today. Just say no to bullying, by the way. <laughs> that was light bullying. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> well, Jonathan Kane's getting the last laugh now. By golly, he's in journey. So there you go. That's right. That's right. All right. So that that's my first guy, Jonathan Kane. Got to give it up for him and the songs that he's written. Important part. Go back and check out both those babies records are great. Uh, Union Jack and On the Edge are two great uh, records. So next from there, we're going to move on to Steve Algieri. Steve Algieri essentially took Steve Perry's place. I mean, he was the next guy in after Perry, right? Yeah, and I'm, I'm with those guys. They waited 13 months. Like, that's long enough. Dude, at that point... If I'm Neil, I make the same decision. You know what? There was a journey before Perry. I guess there'll be one after him. And you just move on. And I know in some of the you know the shows that we saw, Steve Perry's like, look, they were trying to almost force me to get this surgery, and surgery is not a group decision. But 13 months is a long damn time. Well, if you think about it, it's really not unlike the situation with Dennis DeYoung and Sticks. Dennis was having medical issues, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and so he was putting the rest of the band on hold while he tried to either work these out or whatever it was that was going on. The same can be said with Steve Perry. And when people are earning and living, and this is their livelihood, and this is how they earn their living, it's kind of tough to tell somebody, hey, you sit around and wait on me, and I'll let you know when I'm ready to go. So so 13 months, yeah. So they went and they found this guy, Steve Algieri. And Steve Algieri, I knew the name before he was ever in Journey. When I worked at a record distributor, I used to get promos all the time. Record companies would give me these pre-releases of albums that were coming out and say, here, check them out, try to sell them. I was handed a CD uh, from a band called Tall Stories. Now, I never heard anybody talk about this band before, except for more recently, my partner in crime over there, Hollywood, 
on one of his wild hair episodes, pulls out the Tall Stories CD and plays a song off of it, which happened to be one of my favorite songs on that record. And I'd never heard anybody talk about this band before then. And so uh, from the record Tall Stories, this is a song called Sister of Mercy. Please, please. 
Like when you hear that, he's not a Steve Perry clone. There's absolutely no doubt. No, and I thought he always had that kind of register and that range. And so I thought Tall Stories at one point in time might be a big band, but it was, of course, one of those bands that was happening at the time. Music was changing. Nothing happened for them. They were managed by Doug Prater, who had managed like um, Damn Yankees and Ted Nugent. And so they had good management at the time. It just never happened for them. And when Journey plucked Steve Algieri, he was working at a gap. So he, he had basically given up music at the time Journey came and, uh, and plucked him to uh, fill in and uh, take over for Steve Perry. Yeah, that was a pretty cool story. I'm like, oh, look, he's starting his retail career thinking it's all over, and uh, here it comes. That's pretty cool. Yeah, at one point in time, I'm sure that he probably had a run-in with a logistics manager uh, named Sonny Pooney, and Sonny told him that, no, the week starts on Sunday, Algeri, not Monday, and uh, he started laughing at Pooney. But anyway. Yes! Yes! Oh, yeah! Can you feel that, buddy? Huh? 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 I have exercised the demons. <laughs> nice. Okay. All right. So let me share one here. Let's talk about Greg Rowley. So born in Seattle, Washington, started in Santana a year after he graduated high school in the late 60s. He was actually there when uh, Neil was recruited into Santana in the early 70s. Hell, Greg used to drive him there. Greg's an interesting guy. He is the lead vocalist on the classic Santana tracks like Evil Ways, Black Magic Woman, and Oyekomova, and really nobody knows, right? Because Santana, except for Carlos Santana, is basically a faceless band. So if you were to ask people, like, who sings Black Magic Woman, they would say Santana. It's not Santana singing. It's Greg Rowley singing. Right. Right? So so from Santana, you know, he helps uh, co-form Journey, and we'll talk about that a little bit in a little bit. And then after Journey, he had the Greg Rowley band since 1985, he was in a band called The Storm from 91 to 95, and he's been in the Ringo Star All-Star Band for uh, the last basically seven years. Now, when he's in Journey, he's a lead vocalist on the first three albums, right? Of course, he's playing keyboards. He's a principal songwriter. So is the guy talented? Yes. An original member, super important? Yes. Important in Journey's history? Yes. Was Kane an upgrade when he left? In my opinion, Yes. Is he a better singer than Perry? Uh, no. It's not even close. So I'm not saying he's not a good singer. I'm just saying that when you put the two together, like on songs like Just the Same Way, it is a great example of their difference. And I think what ends up happening is Roly sees the writing on the wall and is like, eh, I don't really want to tour anymore because my guess is he's thinking Perry's about to take over the world and he's a smart guy and just wants to walk away quietly and keep the relationship going with the guys, which helped on later because him and Sean did a bunch of things later. So I like Greg. He's not somebody that I go to, and I don't listen to a ton of his other stuff except for really The Storm. So one of the bands, like I said, he was in in the early 90s. The Storm, at the point of uh, inception, was Kevin Chalfant, who we've talked about a little bit. He had a couple of gigs with Journey. There was a rumor he was going to replace Perry and then there was a rumor he was going to replace Audrey. Josh Ramos, who's a guitar player, and his name comes up quite a bit later on. 
Uh, Greg Rowley obviously playing keyboards and doing some lead vocals. Ross Valerie on bass because, and we'll talk about Ross in a little bit. Ron Wisco on drums. And then later got replaced by Steve Smith drums. So it's a happy family. As you can see, the Journey family crossed paths many times. But here is a song by The Storm off their second album that were released in 95. There's about eight copies of this on the planet. I just happen to have one of them. It's called Eye of the Storm. And Shalfant and Rowley are sharing lead vocals on Love Isn't Easy. I still remember I remember why 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm not that familiar with The Storm. I like that song. It's a great song. I think everything you said in terms of Greg Raleigh is pretty, pretty dead on. The interesting thing about Greg Raleigh is he left two successful bands. He left Santana and he left Journey. And I think he was very important, like you said, in the early formula journey. I honestly think he could have stuck around and it would have been fine. Is he as good of a songwriter as Jonathan Cain? I don't think so because Jonathan Cain produced magic when he was paired with Sean and Perry. So, you know, they might have gone the same that they were going at the same pace they were going where they were successful, but not to the level that they became successful after Escape. But I got to tell you, the early stuff that he does along with Perry, to me, some of it is makes the hair on my uh, on my arms stand up. I mean, there's a couple of songs that I absolutely love, which we'll talk about a little bit later. It's fantastic stuff. So I accept him. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. The next guy I want to talk about is Ross Valerie. So. He's been on every release except for Raised on Radio, born in the San Francisco Bay Area, started with the Steve Miller Band before joining Journey. Journey went from nothing to super fame, right? Infighting, there was all kinds of changes. But then, for whatever reason, Perry doesn't feel like he's a good fit anymore when Raised on Radio was coming because, you know, they're using, um, they, he, they wanted a certain feel and I guess Ross didn't have the feel. So he gets fired along with Steve Smith, and they're like standing there going, what the hell, we didn't even do anything. And I don't know what you get by firing the bass player and the drummer that's going to make this sound so much different, but uh, whatever. So he goes to a band called The View, which went nowhere, then was in The Storm, which had limited success, and then was asked to come back to Journey when they reunited in 95, and he's been there ever since. Like I said, one of those first bands were The View. And The View, they didn't really get off the ground. They recorded an album called Phoenix Rising in 85, but it didn't even get released until the year 2000. And The View was Kevin Chalfant on lead vocals, Valerie on bass, Prairie Prince, who was the original drummer for Journey as the drummer, Josh Ramos again on guitar, and a guy named Tim Corman on keyboards. This is... Very 80s sounding, but I would say the it's got kind of a journey type feel with a little more groove and it's got a really catchy chorus. So check out the view with Hard to Get.
Yeah, so out of, out of this song and the Storm song, I actually like this song best. I like this song quite a bit, truthfully. Uh, and again, more stuff that I hadn't heard. So I thought that was pretty good. I'll be honest, for Ross Valerie, life got pretty damn hard after Journey because, you know, he didn't have all the writing credits that uh, Sean and Perry and Kane had. So he didn't have near the amount of money in publishing that the rest of those guys had. And he, he actually went bankrupt for a while after Journey. Yeah, and uh, I think he was on his kind of like last dimes and the IRS was after him and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, pretty crazy. All right, so let's move on to Dean Castronova. That's just one of those last names that's hard for me to say, but then I'm an idiot and that's nothing new to any of our listeners. So it is what it is. Deal with it. <laughs> Magnus, Mangus, <laughs> Magnus, Mangus. <laughs> I will forever screw up names. It's part of the charm. Anyway, check this out. So Dean has done a ton of great shit. Like I like a lot of Dean's side projects and stuff that he's done from Bad English to Revolution Saints, which you heard earlier on the Crank It Up Spotlight, to, of course, this band, The Dead Daisies. Now, I really liked The Dead Daisies when it was Karabi and Marco Mendoza, Doug, and Dean. But now they got rid of Karabi, they got rid of Marco, and they bought in Glenn Hughes. And I'm a huge Glenn Hughes fan. I really like Glenn Hughes. It's just kind of weird seeing it this way after being getting used to seeing it with Karabi and, and Mendoza. It was more of a band feel that way than it is now with uh, Glenn Hughes. Now it just sort of feels more like a project again. But I got to tell you, they got a new song that's out with Glenn Hughes singing vocals. I don't know if it's going to come out on an album or not. I heard they recorded quite a bunch of stuff with Glenn Hughes, but this is the only song that they've released. So check out this one. It's called Righteous Days, and I dig it.
Yeah, it's cool. I just, uh, I think what's happening there is David just is kind of fanboying out and getting people that he wants to work with because he's got the bread to spread. <laughs> hey, I, that rhymed, huh? Um, <laughs> and if Glenn Hughes makes some of that bread, I mean, what's he care? I just, God, I just wish he'd just leave Karabi alone. Well, Miss Muffet sat on a tougher. Eating a curd some way. Long came a spidey, sat down beside, he said, hey, what's in the bowl, bitch? Oh! You're a poet and didn't know it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, uh, I think a lot of people tend to forget that the Dead Daisies always was sort of one of these bands that people come in and out of. From its earliest inception, it was like that. I think we lost sight of that because they had the core group together for, what, three albums? The Karabi, the Mendozas, the Aldridge. They had those guys together for three great albums. But it was, you know, it's always been a band that people have come in and out of. Dizzy Reed was an original guy in that band, I think. So... Now, yeah, to your point, he's fanboying out. He's got bread to spread. And so he's, uh, he's bought in uh, uh, one of his uh, idols. And, uh, you know, hey, can't fault it as long as they put out decent music. And I think this is a good song. I think it definitely has a different sound and a different feel, but I don't dislike it. Uh, and if you approach it with open ears and don't get too butt hurt over the fact that Karabi is, is not in there anymore, then you'll be all right. Yeah, I'm I'm on the butthurt side, so I'll get over it. <laughs> okay. Well, hell, you know what? At least you're honest. God damn it. That's I love right. it. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, let's go on to Steve Perry. Uh, there's not a whole lot that I can say about Steve Perry. He's a former member in the band. He recently put out a solo record, which he hadn't put out anything in ages. He put out this solo record. I mean, listen, I went through it a couple of times. It's just, it's, it would be okay if it was a mixture of some adult contemporary and he still had somewhat of a rock and roll heart, but I just don't think he has a rock and roll heart. He's somebody who writes from his feelings and there's nothing wrong with that. I think as an artist, you should be allowed to do whatever you want to do to express your feelings and your, your thoughts, but it's just not for me. I mean, the whole record is kind of slow moving, basically a ballad record. And so I can't get down with that. So I'm going to go back to his solo record, his first solo record, and I'm going to play one that doesn't get played uh, very often. You hear about the O'Sherry's uh, and Foolish Hearts, which is great tunes. But check this one out. This one's called Strung Out from that same record. And it doesn't get a whole lot of play, but I kind of dig it. Check it out. <laughs> Shine. 
Yeah, that's a little light for you, isn't it? I figured you'd want to have something with some punch. Listen, Steve Perry doesn't have a whole lot of punch. At least I wasn't able to find any on any of his solo records. Am I wrong? Did I miss something? Uh, Strange Medicine has a couple rockers that rock a little bit. Yeah. Which one was that? The second one? Yeah, Yeah. 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 Okay. So I may have missed something, but I do like this first solo record quite a bit. And even the songs like Foolish Heart and O'Sherry, every time they come on, I find myself singing them because I just think they're great songs. So there you go. Yeah. There's a part in uh, some of the YouTube clips that we were watching, especially in the behind the music where Perry says he, felt like an outsider all the time, right? Because you come into this like this band that's been together a while. They have this strong bond. So he was kind of always in the corner by himself almost a little bit. I think that's so freaking hilarious. And even the band said that. The band's like, how do you feel like an outsider when you're the one essentially running the show? And And they're absolutely right. And it's like, okay, so... The band was sorted together, and yeah, I I get your point, and I think that that comes from, you know, we weren't there, we don't know, but I think it comes from the fact that Herbie Herbert and Neil Sean were so close, and he was essentially this father figure. I mean, he was responsible for for a lot. I mean, he is he let's let's face it, he was responsible for Journey happening at all he was also responsible for getting Steve Perry in the band. So I don't get Steve's whole, you know, his whole logic there. I don't know what, what he's talking about, but it is what it is. Yeah. And I think that's why when they decided to get back together in 95, he's like, Kirby's got to go because I think he wanted to break that bond between Herbie and Neil and he didn't want to be fighting Herbie anymore. And, uh, you know, whatever, I guess it works for everybody. Okay, so talk about the last two members we want to discuss today. And uh, the next one for me is Jeff Scott Soto. So, uh, you know, we could do a whole episode or five on Jeff, and maybe in the future we will. But for now, I'll tell you, if you want any of Jeff's history, try episodes 334 or 364 from the Decibel Geek podcast, or try our episode 33, uh, because Stephen did an excellent interview with him, and you learn a lot about him. So now he was basically in the band for a year and there was definitely a falling out of some sort, but you know, just professional. And, uh, honestly, he just kind of dismisses the issue and has moved on. Like he just basically says, look, you know, I didn't want to be doing somebody else's songs for the rest of my life. Anyway, I want to write my own songs and sooner or later I would have got sick of it. Uh, the first meet and greet I ever did was with Jeff at the Concord Pavilion, August, 2006, and I had heard Audrey got sick and Jeff joined and man, was I looking forward to it. And it was a great show. It was one, you know, I stopped drinking in uh, 2007. So I had a shot with a vodka with him backstage. That's one of the last, you know, some of the last drinking I did. So met everybody that day, but Dean, nice guys. I would say the whole thing was probably a short-lived experiment. But, you know, Jeff's a huge Perry fan. He did the songs justice. There's no doubt about it. I was very, very surprised that Dean was singing the slower songs. And after hearing Dean live, I was like, why did they even have Jeff? They could have just had Dean do everything, right? Because obviously he can sing. Either way, great show. For Jeff, I wanted to play something from one of his biggest bands. And Talisman's really the biggest band he's been in. 
They've released seven studio albums, a bunch of live albums, had a huge following in Europe. So here from 2006 album called Seven, here is the song with a really cool groove called Nowhere Fast.
good stuff. I like a lot of the talisman stuff. Yeah, and it's kind of like a mid-tempo song, right? It's got a cool bass beginning. I mean, it's a cool song. Yep. All right, so let's close it out with Neil Sean. So the guy's been there since day one. He is the man. He is the leader. There's no doubt about it now. Born in Oklahoma. Dad was a big band musician. Mom was a big band singer. He loved Cream, Jimi Hendrix. And at 15 years old, he joined Santana. And I mean, at 15 years old, I still was trying to figure out how to Q-tip my ears probably. A homie, you know, living his lifelong dream, which is absolutely outstanding. Gets tired of kind of playing this Latin fusion thing they're doing. So him and Greg decide to go out on their own. But then they kind of ended up doing this rock jazz fusion jam thing until, you know, album four, here comes Perry and the rest is history. Now, what I think people need to continue to tell Neil because he still seems pissed off a little bit about the whole thing about Perry going solo and writing journey type songs and having hits when really Neil's the one who started all this crap by going solo first, releasing two albums. One was with Sammy Hagar. And just because Perry had bigger hits with his, Neil got all pissed off, whatever. And Neil's kind of a, he can be very hit it and quit it, kind of. You know, besides Journey, he's done like nine solo albums. He released some with a band called Azteca. He's played with everybody from Paul Rogers to Santana to Michael Bolton. But I would say his probably most popular non-Journey Santana stuff is probably Bad English and Hardline. And I want to play a song from Hardline's debut album in 92. At that point, the members were Johnny and Joey Gioli on vocals and guitar, Todd Jensen on bass, Dean Castronovo, a friend of ours, on drums. And then uh, later on in Hardline's albums, uh, Neil leaves and Josh Ramos ends up on some of those albums. So again, big happy family. All the names keep popping up. So here from Hardline's debut album, here is Rhythm of a Red Car.
Yeah, I love, love, love that Hardline debut record. Uh, I was fortunate enough to see that band on that debut tour and met all of them backstage. Did I ever show you that picture I got of, of myself and the Gioli brothers along with Neil Sean? Oh, no, I haven't I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I'll, uh, if I can remember, I'll post it on the post uh, show notes for this uh, episode, but it's a cool picture. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, Neil did something with Jeff, too. They did Soul Circus together, so that's kind of how he knew about Jeff. So when Audrey got sick, that's when Jeff came in. And, you know, Jeff, I think... He flew, landed, and did a gig that night. Like, it's not like they got a bunch of practice time. Yeah, that's right. He's a professional. What can you say? (laughs) That's right. Well, as we know, all things start with Kiss, so let's do this. You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss! It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So believe it or not, Dean and Kiss have a history. And that is that the Dead Daisies opened for Kiss, but that was before Dean had joined. And Dean did an interview. He had said in the interview, it was probably a better that I didn't end up opening for Kiss because he's such a fan stalker guy. And, uh, he was worried that he'd end up like hanging out by Paul Stanley saying, hey, can I see you put your makeup on, right? He actually, at the time, told his manager back when he was in Journey to tell Doc McGee that he would pay Gene Simmons ten grand that he could put towards a charity of his choice if he got to play two songs with Kiss. And Dean wasn't even looking to be on stage. He just wanted to do a sound check. It never ended up happening, but that would have been very, very interesting. So, since Dean was willing to pay ten grand to jam with them, I figured he'd probably pick a couple of thunderous drum tracks. So, uh, here's a hashtag Me Too little ditty called uh, No No No.
that's cool. I never heard that. It's interesting. Yeah, it's pretty cool, right? And, you know, you figure he wants to play something that's got a pretty cool drum beat, and he's got a lot of metal roots. So I figured something like Saint Sinner, No, 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 you know, keep it kind of fresh and something that's uh, pounding. So Awesome. All right. So before we wrap this whole thing up. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. So Growing Ups of the Week, here's the folks that shared us on Facebook and retweeted us on Twitter. Peter Cissery, Carrie Morgan, EMZT Podcast and Productions, Steve Wright, Brian Harris, Rick Field, Dan Nation, Hairnet Radio 1, Scott Gull, Austin, The Hook Rocks, Curtis Lancos, Grayson Gallegos, Chris James They, Eladio, Kevin Williams, Brad Rustroven, I Love It Loudcast, Hopper, Jason Bluski, Steve Vargo, Jason Kearney, Ogata, Mark Winder 8, John Clark, Mr. Colt Thornton, Keith Rochford, Zayden Black, Curtis Shaver, Tammy N, Daryl Albert, Tommy Gelati, Bill Elam, Alan Deshawn, David Cathy, Zeus, Ivan Galesick, Stephanie Temples, Mike Williams, The Circus in Your Town, Potter Than Hell, Ages of Rock Podcast, Trace Mess 469, Goosa, Stanley Lives for You, Tony Masalam, Save Rock and Metal, Rodney Dixon, Shout It Out Loudcast, Jason Alexander, David Hudson, Jody Havnot, Todd Herrig, Dave Cranston, Rodney Wayne Delcor, and Courtney Cronin Dold. And I uh, just wanted to thank Restrain for the bumper music. And uh, someday they'll have a new album out. Someday. Someday. And yeah, uh, Heaven Sent is a uh, power ballad. So the people have spoken. And hopefully you guys have enjoyed uh, both our uh, holiday family affair episodes. It seems like it. A lot of good feedback. A lot of feedback that uh, wants me and Sonny to give up our uh, spots to my wife, Jen, which... Uh, you know, yeah, I could do that, but then, uh, how are you going to find out what Paul Stanley ate for breakfast and what David Lee Roth said yesterday? Come on, people. (laughs) Right. You find out on Schmoogle. We're here to give you the facts, people. And the facts are as we write them up, have no basis whatsoever. (laughs) So, so I'm talking to people like, um, you, Doug Middleton. What do you mean? Yes, I am cute. Yes, to my wife, I am cute. What do you mean? That makes you look like an Adonis. Come on. <laughs> I threw up in my mouth a little bit when she said, and he was cute. I was like, oh, 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 my God. <laughs> what? You, you don't want to date me? <laughs> oh, my God. She must have been looking at somebody else and accidentally met you. Listen, idiots. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. God's sakes. Mm. Listen, I've seen your wife, so uh, both uh, our women have uh, somehow been blinded by love because <laughs> <laughs> we both played outside our league. So <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Jeremy Living, uh, what do you mean Jen's better than both of us bozos? I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Bozos? Called us bozos, dude. I've been called worse. Yeah, me too. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> 
So it's all good. Uh, we appreciate all you guys listening. Hopefully you guys enjoyed those episodes. Keep on interacting with us. You guys can hit us up at uh, grownuprock at gmail.com or you can hit us up on the website or you can hit us up on the Facebook page at Growing Up Rock. So just keep the conversations going. We enjoy it. And uh, yeah, we'll go from there. So part two coming your way soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the feedback. Yep. Make sure you tune in next week for our journey top 10. Thanks, guys. Catch you later. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. make sure you subscribe to our podcast growing up rock and leave us a review on itunes give us a like and leave us a comment on facebook at growing up rock it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football fantasypoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points fantasypoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play whether you play fantasy football daily fantasy sports or do a little bit of everything fantasy points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at fantasy points. Fantasypoints.com code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 